What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series of players for, for this year. Take an offensive player and a defensive player. You probably know this by now if you've been listening. If not, go back and download those episodes. Anyway, today we're going to talk about Salah, and we'll try and pronounce his name once <laughs> all the way through, and Adafi Owe. Joining me to do that is Michael Crawford. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. It's good to be back. It's good to be joining you again. I expect this to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I expect that too. And anytime getting to talk football with you is good, Mike. We don't do it enough and uh, uh, cherish every opportunity because it's it's always a great conversation. So I'm going to give this a shot here. Salah, otherwise known as Malai Salah Amuvai Laulu, okay, I like is, I like is the Oregon right tackle drafted by the Ravens. Uh, long-armed. Of course, I like that kind of thing always. Always like the long arms, but definitely not projected to be a left tackle based on you know some feet movement uh, issues uh, that are there. We are hearing he is in the left guard competition as of right now, which is interesting given there's some veteran incumbency there with Cleveland and others. But uh, your thoughts on Solid to start us off? Yeah, uh, man. I. I don't know. Should I start back in college or should I start back on what we've heard this last sort of mini camp? Cause it was really kind of surprising to, mm-hmm. uh, to hear that he was getting reps uh, with the first team. And you think about a guy like Ben Cleveland or even John Simpson, you know, who they signed, was it towards the end of last season um, to the practice squad from the Raiders? 
guys who who've played Simpson maybe a little bit more than Cleveland, but guys who've played in games in regular season games, and then Salah, you know, getting getting that opportunity. So um, I know Harbaugh said that's something that they do, right? They if, if the guys you know playing well, second team, third team, they're like, hey, let's see how he you know looks against the first team. So he, he kind of I think he kind of tried to downplay it a little bit, like, hey, that's just what we do, you know. If a guy shows, you know, maybe he's 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 ready for that challenge. But I don't know, man. It makes me worry about being Cleveland. But anyway, uh, for Salah, yeah, going back to Oregon, uh, right tackle, I think played a little bit of guard. Uh, during his time there, I don't think he played a ton of it. Um, maybe a little bit more in his underclassmen underclassmen seasons than he did this past season. Um, but I remember <laughs> watching him. I think I want to say after they drafted him, I think it was even before that. It was at the beginning of the season because I think Oregon played Georgia, like first game of the season or something like that, very early in the season. And you know he was uh, matched up a couple times with Nolan Smith. And I think he even got a couple with uh, Jalen Carter. And, you know, those guys, we saw where those guys went in the draft. We kind of know about who they are as pass rushers. Yeah, they got him a couple times. They beat him a couple times for sure. But he really kind of held his own. And that was kind of my first sort of introduction to him because, honestly, I had not been following him before that. Uh, And I said, okay, there might be something, you know, here with this guy. And so I kind of kept an eye on him throughout the season. And then when they drafted him, obviously, you go back and you watch more in depth. And, you know, you start to see, okay, hey, there's there's something here. A big man, good size, good length, moves well, very physical, very physical guy, powerful guy, fits sort of the profile, right, what the Ravens look for yep. on the offensive line. So uh, I was excited, you know, when when they, they did pick him and then I got a chance to go back and really kind of, you know, watch him uh, more in depth. I really liked what I saw. Uh, there is – there's certainly – Fair things to like. I think he he uses his hands reasonably well as a pass blocker, which is something you don't always see in these bigger men. Uh, you know, and I, uh, frankly, you know, if I'm going to pick on someone directly, Daniel Falele does not use his hands well still, um, and hasn't been playing the position forever by any by any means. But but uh, Sala is better at that. Uh, has a little bit of punch to his game. Doesn't have the great functional strength at this point. Uh, but seeing independent hand usage already makes me think some of the other things are going to actually be easier for him to adapt to. Uh, I think we'll still ha- see uh, Falele struggling with independent hand usage this year, whereas I think it's much easier to think that Salah might grow in terms of his grown man strength and and pick that up uh, by the beginning of 24 at least. But uh, only 18 bench reps, uh, 6, 6, 3, 17, 34 and a half inch arms. He's already 24 which is a little bit of a concern for why doesn't he have his grown man strength? And if you look ahead till next year, he is potentially in competition with Voris, who most assuredly does have his grown man strength already, despite the injury. Yeah. And he's, is he 24, 25? Yeah. He's Voorhees. an older guy. Uh, yeah. he, I, I'll get his age while you're, yeah. while you're discussing. But we started to, you know, we, I think, um joe ortiz talked about that he said you know with the covid seasons you're starting to see that a little bit more older prospects coming out because guys got the extra year where they can stay in you know so um he's like in years past that might be a little bit more of a concern not that it's a a a non-concern i mean it's probably still something they factor in obviously but i guess you're seeing more of it right because of the extra years that guys got with covid um yeah it's interesting with him because i think 
from what I saw was a guy who obviously I think you always have to start here. Like when these guys come in the league, especially when you're talking about guys who are not picked in the first round, obviously there's a lot of development that still has to take mm-hmm. place. Right. So you see certain things when you're watching the college film. And at least for me, I kind of just note them, but I try to note them in the context of, Hey, this is still a work in progress. Right. So when you see hand usage and you're kind of like, man, I really wish maybe the timing of it was a little bit more consistent or the placement of it was a little bit more consistent. Uh, you look at his footwork and say, oh, I wish he was staying square. All of it is, is, you know, stuff that's going to continue to be developed. And then when they get with their NFL team, then you get into, okay, well, what are they going to be taught specifically in that, you know, scheme and with that particular O-line coach, with the O-line coach, with the way that he wants to do things. So then you have to factor that in that these guys may be learning new techniques, right? They learn maybe a certain way to do it in college with that offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. And then you come here and there could be some carryover and there, there probably are on some things, but then there's also going to be some new things or at least some different things that your new old offensive line coach is going to want you to do. You may even be changing positions. So then, you know, you have to factor all of that in. So I say all of that because I'm like, even when you see some of these guys, you're like, ah, it looks pretty raw to me. Well, I expect it to look that way because I factor all of those things in. Now, if you're an early round pick, that's different, right? The expectation is different when you're an early round pick. But um, the fact that he's already getting those first team reps, at least getting an opportunity uh, to get a look with the first team is encouraging. To me now, we don't know how he did. I wasn't there. I don't know if you were able to go to any of the mini camp practices or any of the OTAs, but who knows how he did? You know, you can you can you can share a report like that, and then somebody could have like an absolutely rough day. You know, and and even if they did, it's it's a lot of brother-in-law play. It's yeah. we, they're not ratcheting up the yeah. defensive line to full uh, throttle. There's not contact going on. It not not full contact practices mm-hmm. going on at this point. But, you know, what I tried to do with him, too, so Nolan Smith, uh, a couple times that they actually matched up, I think that was a really good example of um, the kind of athleticism you would see really week in and week out in the NFL, right? A guy with that kind of and, – and better, obviously. He's a really good athlete at the college level. Probably will still be an above-average athlete at the NFL, but – I don't have to tell you, you think about the guys that they see week in and week mm-hmm. out in the NFL <laughs> in terms of pass rushers, uh, interior or exterior. And it is just murderers, bro, week in after week out. But I wanted to look at him against a guy like that. I think I even went back and looked at either his junior or sophomore year because um, I wanted to see some other matchups with some other guys who were athletic. Who I always try to do that. I try to look at, and I know some people are much more focused on like current year tape. And I, it's not that I'm not. But I go back and I look at the prior year because I want to see them against guys who've already been drafted, right? Okay. So I've seen those guys in the NFL for a year, rookie season, maybe maybe in their, their second year. So I kind of know and have a feel for what they look like in the NFL. So then I want to go back and say, all right, well, what did that guy look like in college? And what did a guy, so example, like Salah, how did he play against this guy who I've now seen in the NFL? And it's kind of you know continued uh, in terms of what I thought his performance would be and, and what it ended up looking like in the NFL. So I try to do a little bit of that too, to get a gauge of what it's going to be like, but there's still so much to go on. Uh, so, so far to go here, because this is a whole new office for me. I mean, for them, but for me too, because, you know, I'd been charting the run game for years. I got really comfortable kind of understanding Giro's run game, but this is like a whole new deal. So um, I'm not really sure what to expect. Yeah, I, I think that's a common thread running through all of these discussions is that is that it'll be a lot different 
than anything we've seen before, or, or not necessarily than anything we've seen before, but what we saw from Roman, because Roman is ex- extraordinarily um, unique, extraordinarily unique. I don't know if you can really do that, but anyway, a unique uh, offensive scheme that that uh, has so much on stretching the the line of scrimmage, stretching the 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 defense horizontally and then using a breakthrough method for you know at the point of attack it's just you don't really see that um very much in the nfl at all anymore and never in the nfl history at the kind of relational heavies that the ravens had in 2022 so uh we'll 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 see how this goes i'm sure it's going to be very different it'll be like having a new defensive coordinator lots of new presents to open lots of new things to see when the season finally starts and uh and salah will be part of that maybe at some point this year I do want to say or, Voris is, is actually four months older than Salah. Okay. Um, doesn't really explain the difference in bench reps yet. Yeah. He's plus 20, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, so And Voris did his on what, a bad knee? On, on a bad knee, yeah. He'd, already, he'd torn his ACL at the combine previously. So uh, uh, that uh, that was really amazing. Um, Voris and Salah being a seventh and a sixth round draft pick, respectively, and, and – uh, you can call it two sixes if you, if you, you know, they drafted a six, if they threw away a six from next year to get him. And hopefully he'll be NFI'd for the whole year and the Ravens retain effectively the four years of play after that. But if they both work out, the Ravens' reputation for being able to draft late round offensive linemen will jump to the absolute top of the NFL. I think it's already close in terms of what they've been able to, to accomplish over the last two decades, uh, drafting offensive linemen uh, late. But this is ridiculous if they if if these two work out of the way they uh, they might. So they have that track record, and even in you know sort of more recent years, Joe D, especially mm-hmm. um, their offensive line coach Joe Dallas Andres, uh, he really has shown uh, a propensity for developing late round guys, and not just becoming like functional starters, but in some cases like the best at their position in the league in terms of Ryan Jensen for a stretch there, mm-hmm. like the best setter, or at least yeah, that stuff's always arguable, right? one of the best centers in the league for a stretch there. So uh, you always, at least I do, I always feel comfortable with these late round guys being in Joe D's hands uh, (laughs) because I feel like he really knows how to develop guys. And so when somebody kind of doesn't work out, you kind of start to, you know, think, all right, maybe there was something else going on there. Joe D can't get these guys, you know, to, he's, he's just not motivated. Something's yeah, <laughs> something else, something else is going on. And maybe that's the case with Ben Cleveland, but, uh, but, you know, watching Joe D coach, I, I still don't have a great grasp on whether Joe D is a scheme guy or a technique guy exclusive, but he's definitely a technique guy. Oh, yeah. And he's, he is so focused on, um, drills that are run on an old time basis. I'll just say they're not powering through drills to get them done. They're trying to do them in limited groups so that Jody can actually see what's going on. And he gets right in there. And I, I guess most offensive line coaches are like this and that, you know, I'd say, Oh, hey, let me show you how to do it. And then it'll, it'll, it'll go through the footwork steps and show how he wants the steps to work. But it's, it's, it's very technical. It's very direct. Uh, he, uh, he is a method. I think the players generally really respect, obviously you got to respect the kind of success he's had. Um, but really, uh, had just a remarkable record, Wagner and powers and, you know, what he did with Matt Skura, turning him into a, a pretty good center would be another case. I mean, just, they've had so much success in those mid and late rounds. Uh, it's hard to do it, but, but I don't get the sense that he's necessarily the scheme guy that he could, he would go to the board and draw up 
you know, Roman's scheme, for example, and say, here's how we're going to run this. You guys need to yeah. make sure you do this. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on the technique part. And I think I may have shared it with you because from a couple of years ago. If not, I'll send it to you mm -hmm. after we after we get off. But he did a presentation at kind of the annual offensive line clinic that the NFL's had for years, the cool clinic. Um, Jim McNally, um, Paul Alexander, and the Cleveland Browns old offensive line coach, guy with a great big, huge belly. I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, <laughs> they'd started it years and years ago. And uh, Joe D, who had never done one of these before, sometimes you see the same guys kind of go like every couple of years and present. Uh, Kansas City's old line coach, Andy Heck, he's there like every couple of years. But Joe D had never done it before. So he did it, and I want to say this was three or four years ago, and he did it specifically on the offensive line. And when you talk about technical I – mean, I'm sorry, not the offensive line, the outside zone play. Mm -hmm. You talk about technical, man, he's talking about the front side blockers. We want you to take this angle of departure. We want your yeah. helmet to be here. We want your hand to be here. Yeah. Backside, we want you guys to do this. Super, super technical. Was yeah. gushing about Marshall Young, as you would, as you would expect. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, super, super technique-oriented. And I think his thing is like, look – we're going to work technique. We're going to work the fundamentals that plays in any scheme. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the scheme is, right? If we're solid in terms of technique and we're solid in terms of our fundamentals, we're going to be good in whatever the scheme is. And really, when you think about it, I think the big change that a lot of us are probably anticipating with, with going to Monken is in the passing game, the running game, maybe some of the percentages of the, the, the run concepts change. People are probably expecting a little bit more zone, you know, maybe a little bit less gap scheme runs, maybe a, a little bit less quarterback driven stuff, but it's all the same stuff. It's still zone inside. Or, or if you're old school, I was going to say, inside, might not have a fullback, right? It might not have that might not. So they might, you know, use a tight end instead, right? If they want to lead on a certain play, but you're still going to have zone inside, outside or tight and wide. If you're a purist, Mm -hmm. um, you're still going to have gap, power, counter, pin and pull. So all of the core stuff is going to be there. The thing that was really unique about Roman was how he could block the same concept. He could block like a power, just standard power, right, where you got one guy pulling and everybody else blocking back. You could block that like 10 different ways. He could mm -hmm. block it like 10 different ways. <laughs> so I think that was really the unique part of the – I mean, there's there's other obviously elements to his run game. But for me, that was really one of the like cool, unique – features of his run game it's not like he was doing anything nobody had ever seen before but they could do it in so many different ways now some people yeah. would argue that it calls you know some some confusion at times you know with some of the players <laughs> but you know uh that's that's kind of what you get with his run game the guy was really in my opinion one of the absolute best run game designers right and callers of the run game that that i've seen historic um, offenses absolutely yeah, say historic what you offenses. will yeah. say what you will about his passing game i get it and some of some of you know just the the feel stuff that comes with being an in-game play caller. There's definitely a feel to that. Um, but in terms of run game, right up there. Okay. With with regard to something you said earlier, um, the the uh, the uh, angles that are involved in blocking in particular, that was something Skura mentioned was when he was on the show, and he was talking about counter in particular, I believe, and the idea that if if you have two guys pulling, the center has to block back in the direction the pullers are coming from. And he has to take a very flat angle to do so to be able to reach the block he needs to make. And it's a, it's backside. So it's, so it's not really a reach anymore, but it's, but you know, you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He's, he's having to, he's having to get a long way to make that block. 
so anyway, the the uh, uh, that, that was very interesting to me. And what you're saying about Dallas Andrus in terms of um, him talking about outside zone plays or or, or it, you know inside zone plays, if if you're talking about that, that leads, leads me to believe he probably could be the scheme guy based on what I'm hearing there. Now he has to know all that clearly to coach offensive line, but still that's that's. If, if he's comfortable getting up and giving a presentation on that, then I'd say probably he's he he could be a run game coordinator for for some team at at a minimum. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, guy's been around a long time, done it for a long time. So you know, the knowledge is there. There's no question about that. Whether it's technique, whether it's scheme, the knowledge is all there. So um, he's probably what I always think it's it's cool to to hear from offensive line coaches and I know when he does media availability sometimes he doesn't necessarily give a whole lot Mm -hmm. but when he's at that presentation when they're amongst their brethren you know the other guys Mm -hmm. then you really get to see it come out and it's like okay this now you can you get a little bit of a glimpse into why they've been so successful with some of these late round guys because this guy just knows his stuff you you probably get this if you go to um meetings that have other lawyers in your case meetings that have other actuaries it's every bit as bad not only do they do they start the whole session we have an in-company meeting they start they start the whole session by being don't try to be smarter than everybody else Hmm. and and okay that's fine you know good advice then they bring on a presenter that tries to tell us how solving problems with iq or eq um you know, there's a lot of people who can solve problems with IQ, but they can't solve them with EQ. And literally had the, 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 the example, I think it literally had the worst example. It was basically, she gave us, she gave, I, I'm not going to go into this. I'm so upset about it. But it, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it left an it impression. Kind of like it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a shave. It's like somebody was saying shaving a haircut about 30 times to me in a row mm. and trying to not get me to react to it by asking her a question that, that would have just, <laughs> really been difficult right. for her to answer. Let's just put it that way. Let's get back to Salah. I don't okay. want to talk about my professional issues here. Um, but anyway, uh, penalized 10 times as a senior, uh, 22 times in 2007 uh, college snaps in total. Uh, he had a Michael Orr level of false starts was one of the things that really showed up. Now, you, when you're looking at individual games, you might notice a penalty there. You might notice a penalty here, but um really got to try and separate how much of that is he's trying to get out of his stance too quickly and how much of it is uh, he's just not focusing for some other reason on what's going on. And that, that'd be the correctable portion. Yeah. I, I could see um, just in the stuff now I didn't chart it, but so this is, you know, anecdotal, but just in the snaps that I watch on occasion, you could see uh, when he knew he was going against a guy who had a good speed rush that he was really trying to get out of there. He was really trying to get out of his stance and kind of get back to his spot because uh, he was a little bit concerned about that speed. And, you know, I remember having this conversation when we were watching uh, kind of in, in earlier in the season with um, and you've, you've had this guy on your show uh, a while back. Um, Chris Aguilera, uh, is, he, he's big draft guy, huge draft name, probably his favorite part of, of, of football. And so we're watching this guy and he's just like, hey. I like this guy. He's talking about Salah, but he's like, I think he's purely a guard. I don't mm-hmm. think he's a tackle at the NFL level at all. And that was a big reason why he just said, look, you know what he needs to do to deal with speed. I don't know if he's got the footwork to do it. And then also his recovery ability. Cause he mm-hmm. said, obviously that's a big part 
right, of, of playing offensive line in the NFL, you're going to get yourself into some bad positions. It just happens. And then you have to be able to recover and still make a block. And he thought he really struggled doing that at tackle. But my thing, and I made this argument, and I told him, I said, look, I've, I've even given this argument a name. This is called the Tyree Phillips because <laughs> we had a similar discussion with Tyree coming out of Mississippi State. Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Same thing. Chris was. Is he neither? <laughs> yeah, is he neither? <laughs> yeah. Chris, Chris kind of had the same thing, and I said, "Look, it's I call it that just because I saw it with him, but you see it with a bunch of other guys too. The best thing that those guys can do, and it's so hard, it's it seems so difficult to do, is be patient, right? Vertical set, set straight back, right? Because when you're that big. Maybe you don't have the foot quickness and the athleticism mm -hmm. of a Ronnie Stanley. Vertical set. Because guess what? Make those guys come to you. When you start turning your shoulders and getting perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, you're giving them an edge. You're giving them a two-way go. Your, your mass, just your sheer mass, right, is going to be your biggest advantage. Make it, Orlando Brown was really good at that. Just be patient. Make guys come to you. And then when they do – They've got one of two options. They can try to go inside. You can stop them with your inside hand, or they can try to go through you, which is going to be difficult. Yeah. So I've always wanted to see big guys who feel like they struggle with speed be a little bit more patient in that and make these guys come to you. Yeah, I mean, I, it, the the bull rush, when it, when it's a bigger man like Orlando Brown or McKinney would be another good example. Those guys are, are just, they're dying to have you try and bull yeah. rush them because they, they stay low enough for that and they're monolithic in terms of their size. But the other thing that Brown is great at and McKinney was less good at um, is using his length exceptionally well uh, to push a guy from 12 to 6 mm -hmm. uh, around the pocket. Yeah. And that's where I, I, I think a guy like Sala, if he were to stay at right tackle, would have to make his living. He'd have to be doing a lot of pushing guys around the pocket. But it I, honestly, I don't really see a way that he ends up being the left tackle back up the Ravens at this point desperately need. They have no one to play left tackle after Ronnie Stanley. McCary is not the answer. Sala is not the guy. Faalele is not the guy. And Moses is not the guy. And I, I you know, I, I, they've gone through another year. I, you know, I basically said in this draft, they need to have developmental left tackle. And they drafted two guys who both look honestly like guards at this point. I don't think either of them is is going to be uh, playing NFL tackle. But if, if one would, it would be Sala and be on the right side. And so, Mission not accomplished in terms of, you know, getting a guy in a later round who at least had a chance to be a developmental left tackle. Yeah, they seem to be, I don't want to say content because I don't know that they're content, but they they seem to be accepting of the fact that, hey, it's going to be a pretty big downgrade if something yep. happens to Ronnie and we're just going to be treading water with whoever we put at that spot. Because like you said, if you thought about it differently, you could have addressed it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You might have had to kind of, you know, reach a little bit in terms of a pick or a player, or, or even if you thought about bringing somebody in in terms of a uh, a veteran, uh, you know, you might have to maybe expend, you know, a little bit more resources than you want to. But if you really decided, hey, we got to do better than just tread water here, right? Then you'd make that commitment. But they seem to be accepting that we're willing to tread water. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I think they might have thought they had the solution with Villanueva and then it, it did not work out so extremely yeah. that, uh, you know, because he was a guy, they, they moved to right tackle. And then they thought, well, we can move him back to left tackle. He won't be as good as Stanley, but, you know, he'll give us something there. Uh-uh, didn't give him anything there. Uh, and and all of the guys that they've had over there, McCary, Fa'alele, 
Um, Juwan James was not terrible in his very brief trial before getting hurt, but you know, what are you going to do with that? Um, all of those guys basically have made Lamar Jackson more nervous and they haven't been able to, to keep the mirror up and, uh, give Lamar that, or give Lamar, yeah, that bump pressure that he's very good and very adept at moving away from, uh, Stanley is just a, a, a singular cat in that regard in terms of his ability to, to, to work with Lamar that way. All right, let's let's go on a little bit here. Um, could he replace Moses at right tackle and be an emergency player there this year? Uh, so he he leapfrog Falele. That's what it, that... I guess it would be if if he okay. did that. Okay. Um, sure, it's possible. I mean, you you give the nod to Falele just from experience, right? Because he's had a year at the NFL level now. There's two ways you could look at that. You could you could give him the nod because he's had that year of experience playing at the NFL level and he actually got in games. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just practice. He actually got into games. Um, but it was a it, but this is a new system. So you could say from that standpoint, maybe it's a little bit of a, a little bit more of a level playing field, right? Both guys learning a new system together. But Falalele still, you all the stuff that you have to adjust to going from college to the NFL, the schedule, how you practice meetings right how you eat just all of those little things right that you you now that you're a professional um are are an adjustment from from college he's got a year's worth of that under his belt whereas sala you know will be doing all and look some guys adjust to that kind of thing more quickly than others um you know for a variety of different reasons so maybe that's not as big of an issue so could it happen sure i think it could happen um and particularly if they think about uh kind of continuing to train Falalele. I keep saying it wrong. It's just Falalele. Uh <laughs> at left tackle. I, I I assume he's working at both tackle spots because they're probably looking at him that way. Um but yeah, it's possible. I don't likely now that's different. You didn't ask me like put like a likelihood on it. That's different. Uh but possible, sure. I, I I'm not sure that he's behind Falalele at this point. Um uh Daniel was so terrible last year. I mean, he had his last start at Denver. It wasn't a start, actually, I don't think, or maybe it was. He was, yeah, he was playing alternately with McCarry. That's what it was. They were in and out for various series. And um, it was one of the worst games I've ever scored. And and uh, that's really saying something because we scored O'Neill Cousins and a bunch of Hurst games that were at the bottom end against TJ or uh, uh, JJ Watt. Um, it, there, there, there have been some very bad games, but, but his was one of the worst. His first two games uh, after that, Harbo was trying to come up with a with a word, to, an adjective to describe his play, and he and he struggled with it clearly mentally as he was coming up to it in the sentence and said viable, yeah. you know, and and um, he he had been a high F player his first two games. Remember, he got beat very badly by Dietrich Wise of the the Patriots, and then uh, his second game, he his second half he played better, and the second game he was back to missing a lot of blocks and giving up some pressures and whatnot. Um, but then in, in, against Denver, just imploded um, in terms of getting beat uh, uh, in that game. I'm not convinced, based on his total experience playing football, that he's ahead of Salah at this point. Now, I, I had higher hopes for him, but uh, unfortunately, I just I'm I'm not convinced of that. I know he's a fourth round draft pick. I know he's had a year in the NFL. I just from what happened last year and how disastrous that was, I think they're starting on a fairly even spot. I don't know where Daniel is in terms of his grown man strength. So he might be ahead of him there. That would be one of the big 
Pope's, I think. But uh, Salah is already a better independent hand usage player than Falele ever has been that I've seen on tape, college or pro. So uh, it's just it's very difficult for me to uh, to to put Falele ahead of Salah at this point. Um, and then you know Voris will be will be the guy next year. But uh, we kind of we're we're kind of running along here. I kind of wanted to. Any other comments you have on Salah? And then tell me what would be a good season for you from your perspective and we can talk about how we define that too okay uh no other comments so i'll go right into what i would see as a good season uh certainly if he's able to get into games not due to injury um Mm -hmm. if it's something where he's playing well enough in practice they see a role for him they want to get him on the field um you know we've seen it with other guys in the past um, you'd probably have to go back to might have to go back to Orlando Brown, right? When um James Hurst blank James Hurst was still kind of starter, and they were saying, Okay, Orlando Brown's just not ready yet. He's it was ridiculous. He's, he's gonna be the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna be the guy, but he's just not ready yet. Now, I'm not saying that you know Salah's gonna replace Moses this year. That's not what I'm saying. But if they find a role for him and they feel like, hey, this is an important enough role where we want to get this guy on the field. Now, under Roman, you might have seen it a little bit more because of the 6-0 line, you know, stuff that they they probably mm-hmm. would do a little bit more of that under Roman or did a little bit more under that under Roman. But who knows? Because Monken has talked about on several occasions that they did a lot of good things in the run game under G Row, and he doesn't really see any reason to like totally go away from that. So he might try to incorporate some of that stuff. Uh, of course, putting his own, you know, stuff in there too. So I think for me at the good level, and I know we're going to go to great uh, in a minute, but at the good level, like just being able to get in the games and get, you know, some level, some amount of playing time and it's not due to injury. Right. Obviously, once injury happens, it turns into a, you know, break, you know, break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> and it's just, you know, whoever you think can get in there and and can give you something and get you through the game. So I'm, I'm excluding that situation mm-hmm. in my my good projection. Right. Well, that's that's fair. I think that's uh, that's a way. It's sometimes making good on an opportunity is also okay. But I, I went a little different and and definitely lower than where you were in terms of what a good season is. I'm going to start with he makes the 53 without resort to a red shirt IR season, and he's the kind of player that that might occur to if he's just not not picking it up, not doing well, not doing things that he needs to be doing. He is the kind of guy you find Amoria phlebitis for at the end of camp, you know, mm-hmm. what Bart Simpson evaded a test for uh, once. And, and you find a way to put the guy on IR. Um, it, it, I think I'd like him to be on the 53 available to contribute if the need arises, but not necessarily on the active roster every week. I don't think that's necessarily in the cards for him. We'll see. But, you know, you, you get kind of crowded when you talk about who's available for the offensive line for the Ravens in a, in a given year. So he may or may, may not be there, but that he makes good use of the year developmentally, both in terms of practice and increasing his functional strength. And I, I, I'm really then putting him in the class of a developmental lineman where I don't really have any expectation of play for 2022 for sorry, 2023 for a good year. OK, I like that. I like that. I think that sets a much more realistic probably expectation for, for that first year. Cause you know, if you're thinking about it, so let me back up a step. Um, 
typically the right and you would know this better than me typically the ravens are going into most games with eight active eight, always them, right because you get that extra it's spot. always it's the yeah. always number yep yeah and so this year obviously this is pure conjecture and projection because we've got a long way to go they're not even in camp yet but we feel pretty good about who four of the five starters are on the line mm-hmm. right i think we know who that is uh at guard until what we heard this week i would have said cleveland or simpson now i think you got throw salah in there too right so that means two of those guys possibly could be in that you know if we're talking about the sixth seventh and eighth spots right on game day and then obviously pat mccarry he's probably that first he's that sixth spot mm-hmm. for sure and then seventh and eighth one of those two guys and maybe Falele, right right some some combination of those last three guys are probably going to be your eight guys unless somebody comes out of nowhere um that we, we're not really thinking about right now so Salah just being able to get into that grouping and even being active the way that you framed it now I'm thinking that might put him in the great category if he's like active a bunch throughout the season whether or not he actually gets into the game just Mm -hmm. if he's part of that eight uh that would be pretty impressive when you think about the guys he's leapfrogging right maybe leapfrog's the wrong word it's not like these guys are world beaters but guys who you think might have had a little bit of an edge on him and he comes in and he's you know, it reminds me of Tyree Phillips, right? You're that DJ Fluger, and you're right. thinking, there's no way Phillips is going to be. I mean, Fluger's a vet. He's been in the lead, and, mm-hmm. and then he ends up winning the job. So you just never know how these things are going to go. Yeah. Didn't keep the job, but he was, no. <laughs> did win the job. Uh, is, but he was a disappointing story, and one of the real ones in recent years, because his level of play – all of the Ravens developmental linemen and all the guys that have been, they've, they've started at a pretty low level. They haven't been very good when they, when they were initially in the league and then they built up and they became very good linemen by the time they finished four years with the Ravens powers is in that group and Wagner Jensen, uh, you know, just I, I'm having trouble thinking of additional guys. Even, even Yonda had trouble winning the 2008 job against Chris Chester, which now seems ridiculous, but, but he had trouble winning the 2008 job and he'd been in the league for a year. He said he no, got so. benched, right? When he told that story, didn't he say he got be- effectively benched? So he was he was not the starter at the beginning of the year, okay. and then he came on and he was unbelievable in the second half. So uh, Ch- Chester ended up being one hell of an offensive lineman. You know, had a great yeah. career with with the Redskins as well, and and uh, uh, his time uh, with the Ravens, honestly, he was he was about as good a sixth offensive lineman as anybody ever has. Um, and could could fill in at multiple spots. That's the guy I think we might not be figuring in whether Sala is the eighth guy, is some other interior lineman who can play center. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, right now it's McCary and nobody, but McCary is also their only backup at left tackle. So they're going to have to have another guy. And it might, it might have to be Simpson or Zeitler. If you take Zeitler off right guard, I think you really change the nature of the offense. So I don't think they're going to want to do that. Simpson, I don't really have any clear understanding of where he is. I don't. Could think... it be the guy they got from Chicago, Sam Mustafer? Yeah, it could be. Center. That could be. Yeah. That could be. Yes, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Okay. I, I, I wonder why I forgot his name. I forgot about him too until just now. Yeah. <laughs> when you started talking about a guy who could play center, I was like, I've not named anybody who can play center other than McCary, which you know he's going to be one of the the six guys mm-hmm. no matter what, uh, or or you know, the, the the extra three guys, six, seven, or eight. When you say it mm-hmm. that way, you know he's going to be in that grouping no matter what. But yeah, Mustafer could be that guy. Yeah. And then that really, that tightens it up a lot. If Mustafer has to be active each week because you might need McCary at another position, then yeah. that really I think tightens. you do, 
right? Because yes, again, we don't ever like to even talk about it, but if Ronnie goes down, he's probably first up at left tackle. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a pretty disastrous situation if that occurs. So you know, it's not a it's not obviously something we'd uh, be okay with in any way, shape, or form. Right. So we've both had a good season. I think both of us have had a chance to say talk, talk about what a great season is. Man, now it's um, you're making me like recalibrate this whole thing. Maybe I just described a great season in my, in my good season because <laughs> I got the guy actually playing in games. Uh, so that's probably the great season. Can I can I amend it? Can I submit sure. um, an amended brief, Your Honor? Absolutely. Uh, this is <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick that in the category of a great season because I guess I just didn't really think about it in those terms. Like when you backed it all the way up to making the roster in a non-red shirt way. I was like, hey, mm-hmm. actually, that would be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just to, for the for the, the sake of time, too, because I know whenever I'm on, I take us way off the rails. I'm going to say, take everything that I said for a good season and make it my great season. <laughs> okay, fair enough. My, my great season might be even a little bit better than it wins the left guard, left guard or right tackle role at some point during the season through some combination of circumstances. So, Somebody might get hurt to make that happen. That's yeah. that's certainly part of the possibility. But whoever is remaining in the competition at that point, he beats out for the job. Um, and he plays at a league average level, which, boy, that would be – that's an unbelievable stretch to think that might occur. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details based on the trajectory we've seen for all these linemen in the past. But if he did, boy, that really would be a great season. And this is one of these players that I told you, you know, I try to use a 60th and 80th percentile season. I think I'm being pretty realistic about the 60th percentile. This 80th is probably more like 95th, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, of, of what are the chances of it happening is more like one in 20. Um, but uh, if, if he does that with the lack of grown man strength, he appears to have at this point, 
I think that would lend us to incredible hope about his future. Um, and in fact, it, even in a good season, whatever they see in practice, hopefully leads us, and, and in the preseason, leads us to thinking, boy, I really want to see what that guy can do next year. And uh, I think that's the best the, the, the best thing that can happen to Salah this year is we think, boy, I really want to see what he can do next year at the end of this year because we see room for improvement. Yeah, and that functional strength, that's going to be the first thing that rushers test, right? When when it's when it's uh, a, a pass situation, they're going to bull you, right? The very first thing they're going to test and see, do you have an anchor, right? Because if they can uh, threaten you with that, right? Plant that seed in your head that, oh man, I got to be ready for this bull rush. I got to really be ready to drop this anchor. Then it unlocks everything else yep. <laughs> at that point. So uh, we're going to find out pretty early on, probably in the preseason, probably even in camp, you know, from, from what we're able to see, but certainly in the preseason, uh, what that anchor looks like. And that's at, you know, sort of this level. Then you get to the regular season and the level goes up here, right? So we're going to get a good look at kind of where he is on that functional strength uh, spectrum uh, probably pretty early on. He might He might get some – we'll be interested to see the order of deployment at offensive lines, one of the most important things to look at in the preseason games. So uh, if Salah is out there as the first you know, guy, it, it could be one of two things. First of all, if somebody else plays three snaps or even no snaps, who you clearly think might be the starter, then it's just a matter of they're, they're yeah. the starter. They don't want to take any chances. They did that with moving powers to right guard last year, which is very interesting. Never planned to use him at right guard, obviously. Yeah. But they moved him to right guard, had him play like two series and then leave the game because they'd already essentially decided he was the starting left guard. But then they used that ability to play against the other team's number ones to test out some other guys at left guard this past year. And I think that that if Salah gets that opportunity in the preseason, it'd be something to be very excited about. Yeah. He, he might be on his way to that good season or, or better. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, first of all, we're not going to worry about time at all, Michael, because this is what I want to do. I want to talk football with you. So if you, if we go an hour and a half on this, it's not the end of the world. Um, Adafi away. Let's move on though. And talk about him. Uh, uh, obviously, a little bit of a disappointing sophomore season here. I know you had a, a few comments about that in the production meeting. So why don't you start us off? Yeah, let me get all of my uh, excuse making out right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's how a lot of people will will label it, and that's fine. Obviously, people are, are entitled to 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 do that. But just just sort of, if you haven't, if you haven't, and you're listening to this, just just sort of think about a couple of these things, right? Okay, so his rookie year. You're coming out in the draft, right? And then coming into your rookie season. Obviously, that's a pretty abnormal sort of season for what the rest of your NFL career will look like, right? You're doing the combine, you're going on visits, you're doing all these other things that you're not going to do in your typical NFL season. So that's sort of one level of adjustment, right? You're coming in through all of that and going into your first year. And you're learning defense one, right? Now, year two, you're coming off of an injury. Okay, no longer coming out in the draft, so more of a normal NFL offseason, but you're rehabbing an injury. So that makes it a little atypical in a, in, a, in a way. And now you're learning defense number two. You also are in your second position coach in two years. Actually, with Chuck Smith, I guess he'll be on his third position in coach. In three now. years, yeah. Um, so two defenses, third position coach, one year, first year, like all rookies. So I'm not saying that there's anything, you know, all rookies go through that, but I'm just saying you have to – I factor that in for all rookies and then coming off of an entry your second year. And then even if we look at the early part of 2022, because they had so many injuries at outside linebacker, 
he's doing some things that as the year went on, he wasn't asked to do, right? So you can think about a couple games where just in like one series, on one play, he's setting the edge against the run. On the next play, he's dropping into pass coverage and he's running 15, 20 yards down the field with a slot receiver. <laughs> on the next play, he's rushing the passer. And he's playing a ton of snaps in those first three or four games, like a lot of snaps. Um, so those are all of my excuses. People can say, hey, I don't care about any of that. He needs to get more sacks. That's fine. Uh, I think everybody wants to see the production increase. But I think when I factor all of those things in, and then you could take it back even a step further, take it back to Penn State. I think I've talked to you about this before because mm-hmm. um, I had to go back and look it up. So I got these numbers from PFF. I think in his three years at Penn State, PFF had him for a total of 744 snaps in three years. Now, just to give you some context, another rusher who came out in that same draft went to Kansas City, George Karloftis from Purdue. Mm-hmm. He had two seasons of 600 snaps or more. Uh I want to say it was 843 in 2019 and 667 in 2019. Iron Man play. Yeah. So obviously the snap counts are higher in college for, for defensive line, you know, in the NFL, unless there's a handful of guys who play, you know, a lot, a lot of snaps in the defensive line, but there's more rotation in general at the NFL level. So you could look at it in that context and say, okay, this guy had basically the equivalent of one college season for like a stud rusher, a legit you know guy on the defensive line in college. He had the equivalent of one season's worth of snaps in three years, not to mention he only played two years of football in high school. So I say all of that really as a way to remind myself that this guy was truly, truly a developmental player coming out. And you could say as a first rounder, come on, get out of here. What do you mean? Developmental? Just look at his experience level. They drafted an athlete. I mean, yeah. you're, you're certainly right. They drafted a freakish athlete uh, who had had zero sacks at the college level. There's something developmental about that, even though it was all Big yeah. Ten in, in the period. But I think the the thing that I look at more than anything as the um, thing that stunted his growth in year two was having to play Sam linebacker and the responsibility shifts that go with that. And why is that important? Well, okay. Talk a little football fundamentals. I know you know the, all this, Mike, but but when he's playing on the Sam side, it's going to be opposite a tight end, usually on the outside shoulder of a tight end that he's lining up, as opposed to on the rush side, he's on the outside shoulder of a uncovered or naked tackle over there. And it 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 is a lot easier to hone your pass rush craft when you don't have to face some sort of secondary block on each play, a chip block or or potentially being blocked by two tight ends because there's not a lot of people who want to leave you on an island with one tight end if, if you're a Dafa away. So it's much easier to hone your craft against a left tackle alone. Suggs played that position his entire career, got very adept at playing run or pass out of that. Um, and away, I think what's important to me about this year with, with his development is that Chuck Smith is going to be able to train him at that position, have him play that position, and develop his get-off, which is probably the most important thing, and his ability to make a secondary move. So start off with anything. You're a Dafa Yowei. You're the greatest athlete this left tackle's ever seen, and you're a better athlete than every left tackle you'll ever see. Okay, so you know, the first, th- first thing is get him to make some primary move that makes that left tackle overreact to it and then move. Euro step, spin move, any, any number of the usual two-way moves uh, – could be good for him. He just needs to find one that really works for him with Chuck Smith. I think he's going to be able to do that. And we're going to see more ability to do that. We've actually seen him do a lot more of his, of his pressures come 
from stunting and finding another gap um, than it has just straight up beating the tackle. And, and part of that is get off related. That just that is one of the things that he really needs to improve. Yeah, you'll hear defensive line coaches will will tell you get off still wins. Like you can talk about all these moves and all these different things, but get off <laughs> at the end of the day, still wins. And you know, move now, obviously, there's you can talk moves for days, but if you just think about the last game we saw him play, right? That wild card game against the Bengals. Now he got some opportunities to rush inside uh against some of their guards. Um, Volson, who was a rookie, and Matt yep. Sharping, who'd come over from Houston. So say what you want about those guys. But that stutter bull or the stutter long arm, basically that stutter move. And you could even see it when he's rushing on a tackle, that sort of hesitation move and that sort of basketball crossover kind of move. We know he's got that background. You you can't stop it, right? When he crosses, you're not fast enough to stop him. You have to have help on the inside to stop him. So I think that sort of little piece of a move, I won't call that a move, even though I like that stutter bull. I think he could use that as a baseline move and could unlock everything else off of that yep. because he's going to get you light on your feet with that stutter. You're going to worry about, okay, this guy's a freak athlete. He's going to cross me over. I got to try to get back inside. One of your feet are going to be in the air because you're putting all of your weight on the other foot to react to the move. And then it's right in your chest. <laughs> you know, and, and the exact thing you just talked about, the, the working off the opponent's leverage there is exactly what Chuck Smith can help him with. It's not it's not the only thing. I'm sure he can do a lot of things, but he, he will find how to make his bull more effective, which has been a lot of what he's done at the at the pro level. It's just been a straight bull rush when, you know, it seems like a complete freaking waste, but he's yeah. got good length for it and, and yep. he, he could he can get good leverage. It's just what you need more than that. You need the the, the moment to exact that leverage or exploit that leverage advantage uh, like Lamar Jackson does, yeah. you know, it, 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 on the run. I mean, he, he reads leverage like nobody ever has in the national football league. He doesn't have to be at his level, but he, but he has to be better than he is. And I think Chuck Smith will help him get there. So uh, that, at, you know, that's another, and it's one of the ones I don't typically talk about, but the, the stutter bull is another really exceptional, effectively secondary move that that exactly meets the criteria of getting that offensive lineman to overreact to the your initial action and and then do it. So I have to keep that in my uh in the regular set that I I say there but that's uh uh that's a really good one. Yeah, that one the timing of it and you can see this really throughout I think most of Oway's rushes. You could look at it on a couple of different levels. You could say on on sort of the first level um over time, right? This is going back to his rookie year. So 2021 and 2022, you wanted to see him develop more of a rush plan. And you could hear Justin Houston talk about this to mm -hmm. him, right? And some of those pregame sort of mic'd up things where it's like, hey, man, you can't telegraph the move. You got to have a plan, but you can't telegraph the move. So sort of level one, do you have a plan? Do you know what you want to do against this particular tackle on this particular rush in this particular situation? And then scale that up throughout the game. Right. Other other brushes, other situations. And you kind of work that throughout the game. And I'm not I don't want to make it sound like super complicated. I mean, typically you can break it down to the way that a guy sets, the way that he punches. Is he high hands? Is he low hands? Is he independent? hand? You know, there's, there's different things you look for and then you attack. So then the second level would be and this gets into the point that you were just talking about with the starter bull is the time. And this shows up a lot when you really watch him. And even if you slow down some of his rushes and watch them from the end zone angle. You can see the timing just isn't consistent enough, right? He's going for a hand to chop it or club it and he misses it. Um, 
you know, he's he's working a spin move and he's basically spinning in place because the tackle has not reacted to whatever the first move was to, to set up the spin. So a lot of it is just timing. And when I see that, that feeds right back into the prior comment slash excuse I was making about experience. You need more reps to get that timing down. Like when you watch Justin Houston, he's got it. You don't see him mistime his moves. They're perfectly timed. But, you know, that's an apples to oranges comparison. How long has Justin Houston been doing it at a really high level? Yeah, we. it is one of the oddball positions. But, you know, the Ravens have, have done some uh, bargain bin shopping on edge rushers and gotten some older guys. And that's one of the positions where because experience is so critical as, as we've seen with Houston and JPP with McPhee, with some other guys, the Ravens have been able to salvage, frankly, in terms of where they were. Um, that's a place where you can really find value in an older player. I just don't think you can do it at wide receiver. Right. <laughs> that's where they keep trying to dip into that bin. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing for OA I did want to mention is that there isn't that guy right now in camp that I'm aware of who is the obvious Sam candidate. Now, right now, I'm expecting OA and Ajabo to split that rush role. And it could be that Ajabo is also on the field on some third down. So they, they can each play more than 50% of the snaps and you know total 1.15 or 1.2 kind of uh, snaps per play between them. But the, for that to happen, there needs to be somebody else who can take off, take over Bowser's snaps where he is not on the field, which has to be some. Bowser can play about 70, 75% of the snaps because he's very durable, but he can't play them all. Right. And there has to be somebody who can do a little bit of coverage during during those times so you don't have to completely give up your defense by your alignment. That's one of the great things the Ravens have with Bowser is um, you still don't know exactly how they're going to drop the cover and who's going to come because Bowser is such a huge coverage asset. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I, last year's Vince Beagle they had in camp, Mm-hmm. And he was obviously going to be, you know, obviously he was he was set to be this that Sam linebacker at least for the season to start, and uh, and that didn't uh, he got hurt and so that didn't work out. But they don't have that guy, and they also released Dalen Hayes, yeah. so that was a player who I was still hopeful. You know, if you look at all the options on the table, there's not a whole lot left on this menu, and Dalen Hayes was 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 getting to be well. Are you out of Dalen Hayes? And and yeah, it turns out they're out of Dalen Hayes. Yeah, I mean, they may make a move over this period before camp or, mm-hmm. or maybe even during camp to to address that. I mean, because like you said, and I was just doing this the other day because I had not looked at the roster in a while. So I wanted to just look. You end up seeing a bunch of names who you, you, you don't recognize. But I'm thinking, man, Sam, who else behind Bowser? Had you Jeremiah Moon, Trenton mm-hmm. Simpson. I know they talk about Trenton Simpson being more of an inside off the ball guy, but he did a bunch of different stuff at Clemson his first year under, uh, or maybe first two years under Brent Venables. And then they switched defensive coordinator his last year and they asked him to do more traditional inside linebacker stuff. He was basically like a nickel Sam under Venables. I mean, he was like an apex player. He didn't really play tucked in the box like he did that last year under um, their current defensive coordinator. So could he possibly give you some of that? I mean, he's a rookie. You know, it could be a lot to put on a rookie's plate. Um, you know, Moon. Similar guy at Florida, moved around at a bunch of different things his last season at Florida, kind of jack of all trades, master of none. But you start throwing those names out and people are like, who? <laughs> so to your point, um, the cupboard does look a little bit bare there, uh, but we'll, we'll get a, a better look at it in camp. It's a very hard position to find out there on the street. Um, there there just aren't a ton of guys. And, uh, you know, I think they, they, 
I know nobody, anybody thinks hey, Vince Beagle, how can you really be lucky to get a Vince Beagle? But I think honestly, that is fairly fortunate. If you can get a player like that, that'd be the kind of player they'd be looking to take 25% of the snaps during the regular season. Uh, it, it, I think you could otherwise, if you were going to give away your scheme on early downs would be the better time to do it than on third down. So you got to have Bowser in on third down then. And that means you got to find somebody else. And JPP was a good guy to come in and take some early down snaps really on the rush side, but I guess he could do it on the Sam side as well. You're just giving away what you're doing. If you, if you, uh, if you do that. So somebody else has got to be responsible for the tight end on that side. Uh, Cause JPP can't get, leave the line of scrimmage and cover him. That's not a realistic expectation, but um, you know, he could, he could jam him. He, there's probably other things that an experienced player like, uh, like him could do. But uh, anyway, I, Harbaugh made a flip comment that I really didn't like last comment uh, last year about, um, you know, they're, they're, Sam rush, they're all fine. They're all football players. They'll be able to figure it out. No, it's really <laughs> not that simple. And you know it. So he stop trying it. to tell us that. Yeah. He knows it too. And, 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 you know, he's, he maybe doesn't want to give away anything to think, but, but what he should have said is, you know, Adafi Owe is an incredible athletic specimen who's everything needed to play Sam. If you think we're really out of Sam linebackers just because Dias Bowser is down, well, you got another thing coming. That would have been a fine way to do it if you wanted to, you know, just just talk about it. And selling the notion that it's not important what position they play, that is complete garbage. Yeah, I mean, we saw right mm-hmm. early last season yeah. when Bowser wasn't available we we saw hey uh it actually is very important <laughs> so you know like you to your point they they had Oway learning Sam and it was trial by fire out there and teams knew it and whenever he was dropping or in you know a covered situation it was a where's Waldo kind of deal they were looking for him and uh trying to find a way to exploit him in coverage yeah and, and that will happen by the way that's something that uh, Dean Pease, one of the things I really respected that he said was, you know, if, if you, if you put that guy out there, the other quarterback will find him mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, you'll, uh, do that. I wanted to go away by snap count as well, because OA is a guy who played way too many snaps early in the year before Bowser returned. Yeah. The Ravens started to correct it before that, but the first five games, his percentage of defensive snaps played are 81, 82, 86, 95, 87. Yeah. Now, in his rookie year, he did play 65% of the snaps. So the team obviously relied on him very heavily, had a big rookie year. But the rest of the season, he never played over 57% of the snaps yeah. um, after that start. And he was a lot better then. Um, the pressure started piling up. And PFF has him actually for a decent number of pressures. I have him for a lot more because I use a three-second standard. Mm-hmm. And I think what I am seeing is that he's getting a lot of pressure between two and a half and three seconds specifically. Okay. Um, I also have cone infringement where I think that that has real value and PFF may or may not be calling that depending on how close they are to the quarterback. They may or may not be calling that a, a, a pressure. But anyway, I, to, from my way of thinking, the number raw number of pressures was not at all the problem for Adafi Oe this last season. The, the, the problem was the finishes Yeah, that he and he was not getting as many. Uh, you know, first of all, he wasn't having as many quick wins. So that, that is a problem. And then he wasn't, he wasn't finishing as often in terms of, of getting the quarterback on the ground, either by quarterback hit or by sack. Yeah. And I watched a couple of games just to kind of rephrase. I mean, obviously we all watched them during the season, but just in preparation for this, went back and watched a couple and I watched that bills game and that jumped out right later in that bills game. He had Josh Allen dead the rights like two or three times, like unblocked dead to rights. (laughs) And he just wasn't. Now we're talking about Josh Allen. Not an easy guy 
to get on the ground. So let me let me just make sure I'm being clear about that. Um, but an athlete like Owe, you feel like you got a pretty good shot, right? Uh, with him unblocked to a quarterback. And some of that was experience too, where you see the angle that he's taking, right? So he's unblocked and he's taking an angle like right down the middle, right? You want to get to that ball hand, right? Right. That's the that's the angle that you kind of want to take. Um, and these guys are all athletic enough now that if you give, I mean, you see even with Joe Burrow, who's not nearly the athlete in terms of a runner that Josh Allen is, but in terms of pocket manipulation and being able just to sidestep and slide, he's a tough cat to get down yep. to um, in the pocket. So a lot of that is 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 technique, in my opinion, uh, in terms of the angle that you're taking to the quarterback to make sure like, hey, I'm going to either force him. Obviously, the first thing is I want to get him on the ground. But if I don't, I'm going to take an angle and I'm going to leverage myself in a way that if he doesn't come to me and I'm not able to get him down on that angle, he's going back to my help and somebody else is going to knock his block off. Right. So, (laughs) you know, I think some of it is just that. And again, that's an experience thing. you know, that's a, that's a learning thing. Yeah. It's, it is a, it is a hard, hard way to do that, to learn the containment. But I would say this is something the Ravens defense is exceptionally good at. I mean, they, they have so many um, multi-player sacks, like if, you, if you're J.J. Watt or T.J. Watt, they pick up a lot of individual sacks that have really not much to do with anybody else providing value there. Aaron Donald would be the you know another guy who, who picks up a lot of the Ravens as a team just don't have very many of those. Um, and and what they have is a lot of first man pressure, second man sack uh, situation. They play very good team pass rush uh, to to get a lot of their sacks, or at least they did in 22. And you know, over the course of their history, you know this better than me. And I've heard other um, defensive linemen, particularly pass rushers, talk about that specifically with the Ravens. How, aside from Suggs, right? You can you can point to some exception guys. You didn't have a lot of individual guys with high sack numbers because they said, look, they have a very structured system, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about JJ Watt. You could listen to some of his coaches and some of those teammates talk about, hey, look, we make JJ right, right? That's it's JJ and it's the rest of us, and our job is to make JJ right. So JJ may be doing something on a play, which really isn't what he's supposed to be doing. But now our job is to, if he's, you know, let's say he's supposed to be a C-gap player, but he sees something and decides to knife inside uh, the guard in the center. Mm -hmm. All right, well, now me, I got to cover him on the C-gap outside to make him right. So, you know, that's the gift and the curse of great players. They're going to see things. I mean, we we know this very well with like Ed Reed, I mean, different Mm -hmm. position, but they're going to see things and they're going to go and make plays. Now, it may not be, what the call was or what their assignment was in the call, but it's part of what makes them great. Now that also means it puts pressure on other guys to kind of cover up, you know, for the times that they're not right. So getting back to the point about the rushers, people would say, Hey, if you're going to play in that defense, then maybe that changes a little bit under McDonald. Cause it sounds like they might be getting a little bit more freedom. If you listen to Ojabo, you know, Hey, they're letting us dance off the line and be more free. Maybe they get a little bit more freedom, but I think they're always going to be a structured kind of pass rush and you're not just going to have guys just totally freelancing Suggs earned it right so he got to do what he wanted to do you know you know honestly Suggs wasn't that much of a freelancer in terms of in terms of just being a a, a one-on-one pass rush winner uh that isn't even what got him in the hall of fame although that, that sack number which is a lot of people contributing to him and his his finishes was certainly good what did it to him is he's a generational run defender he's the greatest run defender uh, at, at that rush edge position that that we've seen in you know 25 years, and uh, it's 
it, it was he was so far ahead of everybody else at that that he you know he lived with being a slightly above average pass rusher who collected a fair number of sacks because of the system. Uh, I said I just wanted to address something else you said because you talk about you know playing with Ed Reed, Marcus Peters be another example of a guy who gambles. In a lot of cases with Reed and Peters, there is no next line of defense. If they make the wrong call, it's 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 a touchdown. But those guys, I trusted them more than anybody else I've ever trusted in terms of making those gambles effectively. Reed obviously proved it throughout his career. Peters, remarkable gambler about knowing how to bait the quarterback, when to go for the interception. And he was actually, you know, Reed, I'm sure did a lot of this too, but 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 Peters uh, very much considered what the defense was doing in terms of when he should gamble. And one of the one of the big interceptions he had in 19 or 20. 19 or 20, I think it was 19 against the Bengals, uh, cuts in front of the receiver, goes all the way for a pick six. And, you know, I, I did math on it after the play, and I'm going, you know, based on the change in expected points, he only needs to be right about 20% of the time to make that a good play. And it looked like he'd have been right, you know, first of all, but because he made the play, it probably looked like he'd been right 75% of the time. But but he, it's, he knew instinctively, probably didn't, you know, I'm sure he hadn't worked it out from a Bayesian perspective that he had to be right 20, 20% of the time, but he, he probably had worked it out uh, in his own mind uh, that this is a good place to gamble. Their coach, that, that particular play, if I'm thinking of the same one that you're thinking mm-hmm. about, I think the Bengals had their backup QB in at yep. that time. I can't remember who it was, but their coach, Zach Taylor, he talked about that on a podcast and he said he, it was like a slow motion like a slow motion movie, like playing out in front of me because <laughs> whatever the the check was to the wide receiver, there was yeah. something they were checking and the quarterback called it out. And Peters, who had been with Taylor when he was with the Rams and McVay, he knew that word. Oh, and really? He knew what the word was. Oh. Yeah. So, and so, so he, he hears it. The, the announcer knew the word. The announcer called it out. He said, okay. they're going to short out to the, to the wide receiver okay, over yeah. here. because well, Peters definitely knew it. Right. Yeah. And so he and and so Taylor is like, in my mind, I'm like, I know he didn't just say that out loud. It was supposed <laughs> to be a signal, but he yelled it out loud. Peters heard it and he's like, oh, my God, this is going to be a pick six. And it turns out <laughs> to be a pick six. And Peters, I said, I guess at some point gets over there to their sideline and says something. He's like, come on now. You know, you can't do that. <laughs> you got to at least change up the word. You know, I know that word. So it was it was a really good story. You don't get to hear that kind of behind the scenes stuff too much. Great inside stuff. So. You know, um, it's it's another thing that Peters man, you got to say something about that. Don't tap on the aquarium would be the, would be the terminology in paper terms in, in poker terms. If somebody's a bad poker player, don't give them poker lessons at the table. <laughs> Just let it happen. And he said, you know, obviously if that's uh, the starting QB, it probably is going to be a signal, right? He's not going to verbally say it, but this guy, you know, didn't have as much, you know, preparation as much time. And so either he couldn't remember the signal or wasn't sure what the signal was. So he said, I'm just going to say it. And it's like you can't you can't do that with a guy like Marcus Peters. Well, we were we were at the game in I think it's yeah, it had to be the 19 game because that's the one they won 49-13, I think. And and uh one of the jerseys we saw there was a, a nine, and I think it was who who wore number nine for them, not Carson Palmer, but one like, might have been Carson Palmer, but might have been one of the other quarterbacks as well. And they had already taped over the name and written Burrow in the year before he was drafted because <laughs> they, they were already planning on the number one pick and they knew where they were going. And man, has that worked yeah. out? Good Lord. Yeah, that has worked out. <laughs> All right. So let's move on and talk about Adafi away and what is a good season and a great season for him. And I hate to cut this conversation short, Michael, because I, we could talk on sure all night and, and have a lot of fun, but uh, what's a good season for Adafi away? All right. Now, based on what we did with Salah, I've sort of recalibrated here mentally. Okay. 
So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I think I, I'm good for what I think is great, and I'm 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 a little a little more recalibrated for good. All right. So for me, for me, this is what I would like to see. I'd like to see him be able to play more consistently at that rush position. You kind of hinted at that a little bit earlier. Not to say that he would never play Sam or never do some other things, but I just think it would be more beneficial uh, for him um, for a lot of different reasons, but I think it could really impact his production. If he could just play more consistent consistently at that rush position, I think everything else has kind of already been almost at the good level, maybe. Like you said, the pressures have been pretty good. You'd like to see him finish more plays. Um, maybe I could even throw this in the in the great category, but I'll keep it in the good for now. Uh, consistently win your one-on-ones, man. If you're consistently winning those one-on-one opportunities, good things are going to happen. Even if you don't necessarily get to the quarterback, the ball gets out or whatever. Uh, the, the ball, you know, it's a run play and the ball goes away from you. But if you're consistently winning those one-on-ones, you're going to put yourself in an opportunity to make plays. So... I'll keep it generic with those three. Okay, good stuff. I have some of that overlapping. Stays at the rush position, not asked to play more than one to two games at a position at Sam. And it's unrealistic to expect Bowser to be durable throughout the whole season. So it's probable that Oway would have to move to the, the Sam spot for, for a game or two. Uh, I'd like to see a snap count limited. And the other major player that I'm big on limiting his snap count is Matabike this year. Mm -hmm. And I hope they have the depth on the defensive line to do it because Matabike played about 59% snaps. I think he'd be a lot more effective playing in the high 40s mm -hmm. um, and, and and limiting him, getting him off the field on a bunch of rundowns, basically. I, I think they, they they need to need to play less for that. But 60 to 65%, I think, for Oway would be a good place to be. That's about where he was his rookie year. Share the job with a Jabo. Um, you know, like I say, between the two of them, they might get to 1.2 snaps per play. So each of them is playing 60% or, or it's 65 and 55 kind of thing where Ajabo is getting uh, kicked inside probably on passing downs or maybe OA is, but but one of the two is probably getting kicked inside. Um, pass rush finishes need to come back. And I'd say I don't have an extraordinary number for the 80% thing, but if you get back to about five to six sacks uh, with some turnover generation, uh, improved edge setting in the run game, essentially a year that's very similar to his rookie year, I would put at his, as a good season. He had a lot of turnover generation in that rookie year. Um, and it would be real nice to see him just to get back to that point and, and largely be playing the, the rush step. I think that would be good. I'm with you. So we doing great or yeah, please. Okay. Uh, so I was similar. I mean, I'll, I'll do sacks just because, you know, we know everybody loves sacks and sacks like rushers will say sacks get you paid. Uh, <laughs> I was saying somewhere in that seven to 10 range, that double digit is kind of like the magic number for people. It's not a big deal to me, but I get it. I get why it's important and why people, you know, sort of focus on it. But I think that would put him in the great categories. Like you and I were talking before we started recording. You think about guys who hit that double digit category. That's like, 90% or above, right? Percentile uh, of guys who hit that. So that's, that would certainly qualify as great. Um, but, you know, if he can get there, if he can get um, maybe in that top 20 in terms of pressures, pressure rate, uh, mm -hmm. top 20 guys in the league, if you can get there, I think that that's pretty good. Um, and then he's a guy who's been durable. I don't know. Has he, has he missed a game? Let's see. It's a Duffy Oi played 17 twice. Uh, give me just a moment. Go, go ahead. Maybe once, maybe once or twice, but so 15 and then 17. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's been pretty durable. So 
I'm like, if you get to me, that's always sort of like one of the things like I, I like to throw in a great category with anything. If you're starting all of the games and playing in all of the games, because I mean, we know how hard it is to do that across an NFL season. So anybody who can do that to me, that automatically puts you in a pretty rare category. If you're able to play at all 17, you know, they 18 now, I can never remember. Um, that's, that's pretty impressive. So I think the sacks is what would put him in the great category in a lot of people's minds. I don't necessarily know that I need that, but I'll throw it out there just because I know it's it's a sexy metric. All right. Um, I'm good. I'm going to go back to some fundamental elements here. I, I want him to develop the first step necessary to take his pass rush to another level. And that could result in sacks, a lot more pressure, whatever it might be. But work with Chuck Smith, actually have that pay big dividends in terms of what Chuck, Chuck Smith can teach him in various ways. Boy, Owe and Ajabo are the two guys who yeah. are so critical in terms of their development. Whatever they pay Chuck Smith will not be too much if those guys both have big years and and you know basically put themselves on good career trajectories out of this year. Um, I want him to be recognized as one of the league's elite pass rushers. Whether or not all that transfers to a double-digit sack number in the Ravens system, so it may not. But if he's seven sacks and 45 pressures and you know 20 quarterback hits uh then he certainly meets the standard there um the overall thing though is that he is going to take attention away from defenses even on the rush side where he's alone against that left tackle they're still going to get attention from a running back attention from that guard who is doing a bailout block if there's a guard bubble on that side uh, so, you know, attention is going to be focused on Adafi Owe if he plays well. And so I'd say if their overall pass rush for the defense benefits from his play and that creates more total sacks for the team and more QB mistakes, uh, that would be another way for him to get to a, a, a great season in my mind, even if he fell slightly short on that pressure standard. You know what they say, disruption is production. So <laughs> if he's able to, you know, garner that attention to disrupt offenses in terms of, hey, we, we really didn't want to have to, you know, marshal these resources over here as often as we're having to because of how he's playing in the game. Now you're creating opportunities for other teammates. And, you know, we, we mentioned Suggs a couple of times. Uh, he was masterful at that <laughs> creating opportunity. Not only did he get his, which is what makes him such a great player, is he did both things, right? He got his, but he also created opportunities uh, for other guys. So nobody is saying that Adafi Owe has to be Terrell Suggs. <laughs> he just has to be the best Adafi Owe he can be. But if he can have uh, a Suggs-like effect in that context that you just mentioned where he's creating opportunities for other guys, people may look at that and say, oh, okay, well, the numbers were just okay. Like you said, if it goes back to sort of his rookie uh, year sort of you know statistical production, people may look at that and say, oh, he did that his rookie year. What well, you know, It's not any better. But if he's having that effect, that's the stuff that doesn't show up in a stat, yeah. you know, you're not, not any of the traditional counting stats. Maybe teams have ways that they, they track that kind of thing. But um, for most of us, we don't see that in any kind of traditional sense, but that that's huge, man. When you have a guy who can create like that um, for other people on, on the defense, and he's already doing some of that. If you really look closely oh, yeah. at some of the rushes and some of the, the ways that he does certain things, he's already doing that, but it's, it, it can certainly, you know, go to another level. He, he was a big part of the Ravens. Second guy in gets the sack uh, thing that I was talking about earlier. He, a lot of them were built off his first pressures, uh, making it possible for Houston to get home or for other players to get home. So, uh, yeah. 
still very excited and and based on the way he finished the season back at his normal position very excited about what he can produce in 23 that game and i know people will say there was some tomato cans out there in the offensive line i get all of that but that effort and that energy uh again i was just watching that one recently and you're seeing some of the rushes he's putting on you're seeing him getting after burrow when he scrambles and you know actually running past justin houston to make a tackle you know down the field on joe burrow as he scrambled out i mean you would expect he's he's much younger and a better athlete than justin houston. but still just that energy he's coming from the opposite side of the line and burrow is actually so it was it was on the right side of the line. Burrow scrambling to the left side of the line. Houston was on the left side. Oway runs past Houston to, to kind of you know grab and corral Burrow by the ankle. So that that I remember saying it during that game. I'm like, look, if he can just give you that kind of consistent effort and energy throughout all of his games, I'll take that. You know what I mean? I'll take that. Sometimes you watch him and it's almost like you know, a little bit of, of he's, you look at his personality and he's kind of really laid back, really kind of a cool character. And it's like, no, no, no. What did Todd Munkin say this week? Cool is out. Execution is it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, always a pleasure talking football with you, Mike. This has been such a good discussion. I hate to end it here, but we better uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Uh, so primarily catch me on Twitter at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Still one third of the deep cover podcast with Chris Aguilera and uh, Carrie Stevenson. Some reason they keep me around. And uh, the other half uh, of the fire zone show with Denar Melton being the better half by a long damn shot. Uh, on that show. So, uh, so we'll not be, true. <laughs> we'll be, we'll be firing all of those back up uh, once, once we, you know, ramp up and are back into the season. So you can, you can catch me in any of those places. Hoping, hoping still to get Denard on one of these two, but I haven't heard back from him yet in, t- in terms of these uh, these episodes here. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, uh, please hit me up. There's lots of opportunities in July in particular to do shows. Anything you want, uh, just hit me up with an idea. We'll talk about it a little bit, see if there's a show there, and, uh, and we'll work on it real quickly. Uh, Michael, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. It was a blast. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.